anatomy of the pleura. Oh, the pleura. So we're inside the thorax and there's a membrane here, a thin membrane, and yet it's absolutely crucial for life. So we'll think about its anatomy, think about its naming, think about its structure, talk about the potential space that's really important that's formed here, and then what happens if you puncture it, right, in five minutes or less. All right, let's start my timer. There we go. Um, so the pleura is what's called a serous membrane. It's a... It's a single epithelial layer, um, also known as a mesothelium, on a connective tissue. That's what holds it together, gives it some strength. And it produces a little bit of fluid. Now, if you, if you look at a lung, the lung looks nice and shiny. And the reason it looks nice and shiny is because it's covered in pleura. And that pleura layer that's covering the lung, we will call the visceral pleura. Makes sense because lungs are viscera, they're organs, right? Now, if you follow that visceral pleura of the lung towards the hilum, the hilum is where the blood vessels and the airways go in and out. Now, that pleura continues over the hilum and joins with the other surfaces inside the thorax. That is, in the central space, we have the mediastinum, so it covers the mediastinal surfaces. Um, it lines the costal surfaces, that's the inside of the ribs. It covers the diaphragmatic surfaces, that's the diaphragm, and it even goes up into the neck, lining the cervical surfaces. Now, the pleura that's not lining the lung, not covering the lung, we call the parietal pleura. And that parietal pleura, that visceral pleura, all of that pleura that I've talked about is one single continuous sheet of pleura on each side. So each lung has its own pleura, but there's only one on each side. So the visceral pleura becomes the parietal pleura, runs around the inside of the thoracic cage and then goes back to the lung and becomes visceral pleura again, um, if that makes sense. Now... We have visceral pleura covering the lung, parietal pleura lining the inside of the ribs, for example. So there are two layers of pleura next to each other, if you can imagine that. And in between the parietal pleura and the visceral pleura, there's a potential space. Those two pleura are next to each other. There's a little bit of fluid in that potential space. But it's a potential space because it could become a bigger space. This is the pleural cavity. The pleural cavity is the potential space between the parietal pleura and the visceral pleura. Now, the, parietal, the, the pleural cavity cannot change in volume. It's a closed space with very little actual space in there, um, which means that as the ribs move, as the sternum moves, as the diaphragm moves, the parietal pleura is stuck to those surfaces. So the parietal pleura moves with those structures. Um, and then the visceral pleura, which is covering the lung, has to move with the parietal pleura as well because the volume of the pleural cavity can't change. So the visceral pleura and the parietal pleura are kept next to each other. So in this way, the movements of the thoracic cage, the movements of the diaphragm are translated to the lungs. So as we increase the volume inside the thorax, the lung is drawn with it. The pressure decreases and air is drawn in through the through the mouth, through the nose, right? So the pleura are crucial to breathing. And the pleural cavity is crucial to breathing. So what would happen if the pleura was punctured? You could puncture the skin, the muscle, and the parietal pleura, and air would enter the pleural cavity. Or you could puncture the lung and the visceral pleura. 
and air would enter the pleural cavity because the lung's filled with air, right? Now, the lung is an elastic tissue, so it wants to shrink. It wants to get smaller. Um, and that idea of the pleural cavity containing a volume that must not change to translate the movements of the, the rib cage and the diaphragm to the lungs, that's now lost. Now the volume inside the pleural cavity can change. Air can move in or out. That potential space has become a real space. Now the movements of the diaphragm, the ribs, the sternum, they won't move the lung in the same way. They won't be as efficient or they might not move the lung at all. Um, this is a pneumothorax. Remember I said that each lung has its own pleura. So if the pleura of one lung is punctured, and we have a pneumothorax, air moving into the pleural cavity, the other lung should be okay because it's separate. So one lung will not be functioning very well, but the other lung should still be functioning. It's a, it's, it's a helpful bit of redundancy. It keeps you alive. Um, now, blood or water or another fluid could also move into the pleural cavity. You can imagine with one of these puncture wounds or with um, cells making too much fluid and filling up the pleural cavity. So there are other forms of not just a pneumothorax, but a, you know, a hemothorax or a hydrothorax. And if that parietal, if that pleural cavity is not functioning normally, then you won't be able to move your lung normally. You won't be able to breathe well. So uh, yep, there's my five minutes. You get the idea. But that's the anatomy of the pleura. The visceral pleura covers the lungs. The parietal pleura lines the thoracic cage inside and the diaphragm and what have you. There's a pleural cavity in between the two whose volume cannot change. So the movements of the chest wall are translated to the lungs. All right. There is more pleural anatomy. We will come back to it in the future. Thank you.